Hello, I'm Michael Barr. And I'm Scott Soshnick. On this weekly podcast, we explore the big money issues in the world of sports and talk to some of the biggest players in the industry. This week, we talk to Andrew Morton, chair of Handler Thayer Sports and Entertainment Practice. But first, let's look at the top stories of the week. Now, usually, Evan Novi Williams is with us, but he's on a trip to Alaska and he's with his lady, and I'm hoping they're having fun. Uh, boy, I, I don't know. He's in Denali, the National Park. I will just say, and I don't know if she listens to this, and I doubt she will when she gets back, but I will say that Janet's not exactly known for her, the outdoor spirit, if that's the nice way to put it. Whereas Eben is totally into the, you know, he's had, give me my knife, give me my hiking shoes and a tent, and he's all good. I'm very anxious to see how this trip goes. That's him in the Hungry Jack commercial. There you go. I'm very <laughs> anxious to see how this trip goes. Uh, my fingers are crossed. So anyway, uh, what it means now is that uh, we're going to be doing uh, double duty here So because we're missing Evan. So let's start Better do off. your lifting bar. Yes, sir. So let's start. Well, let's start with an easy one. I shouldn't say easy. So you say. Yeah. Uh, NASCAR. Oh, so you're starting with what you know best. Yeah. <laughs> All right, so let's start with that. Let me say it. Let's start with NASCAR, Bar. Go, talk. <laughs> well, here's the deal. It's Now they've changed their mind, and they do not want to sell their controlling interest. According to Forbes. According to Forbes. Yeah. The For the family. The France and, family. Yeah, the France family. And they want instead to try to look for sponsors. Well, that makes me wonder, because this has been out there for a while now, that they were looking to sell controlling interest. Right. Did they not get what they were seeking, or did they really have a change of heart? That's my question. A lot of times, if you've ever put an apartment on the market, we were just talking about this, <laughs> and you don't get a lot of interest early on, you got to switch your tactics a little bit. Well, that's surprising because, yes, I get it that uh, you know the viewership is dropping a bit and blah, 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 blah. But NASCAR is still a very viable and very popular entity it should be easy to sell that well I don't, I don't know if i agree with the very viable and very popular i know it's very popular in the bar living room i know that well that's true but they got a problem on their hands with new fans and a lot of tracks are empty and they got a problem they need to figure out how to woo the next generation of fans and i'm not sure ott and nascar is the same as the others, or even sports betting or social. I'm not sure that's it. Um, what do you bet on in, in NASCAR? Who's going to win? Who well, get lapped? Here's how you do it in fantasy. You do it, and everybody, you know, you get the lap uh, points for each lap that's led, and you go on from there. So, it, and then you get points for where they. Do your finish. kids watch? Just curious. Uh when does the Daytona 500? Oh, so no. Okay, like okay. everybody. Else. Okay. <laughs> Moving right along. Justin Tuck gets a job at Goldman Sachs. Say what? Yeah, I mean, the former New York Giant, Oakland Raider. It's it's nice to see athletes that have a career path. Uh, remember Wayne Crabetta of the Jets? Yes. He works in finance as well. You wonder, and not, taking nothing away from Justin, I have not spoken to him about this, but he did go to Harvard Business School, um, got his MBA, but he's working in the private wealth management and I wonder how much of the appeal from the Goldman perspective is still he's Justin Tuck. And rich guys like to hang out with athletes that they watched play. And is he a rainmaker? Is he a wooer? Uh, what, what exactly is he doing? But either way, kudos to Justin Tuck. And how about the guy, by the way, in the NFL? We, ha we haven't spoken about this yet. Who got his medical degree? And, yeah. he, and he asked the NFL, can I put MD on my jersey? 
And they said no. Because like, if we do it for you, we got to do it for everybody. How ridiculous. You want to talk about like aspire and, and, and to inspire kids and something to shoot for. Here's a pro athlete. That's a medical doctor. Great. I know. Let him put the MD on there. Another topic. According to sources, the Panthers, Tepper, uh, the NFL owner, David Tepper, incoming, I should say, has decided to buy out the remaining partners. Yeah, I had heard during the sale process, it's, this is called, when you have limited partners, it's called rolling. You heard that they, yep. they, they were not going to roll, which means keep their stakes in the team, and Tepper had the option. But he bought in at a pretty high valuation, you know, $2.3 billion, and he bought out Jerry Richardson, who had 48% of the team. It was the largest single-controlling right. shareholder. Now he's taking 100% of the team. So you wonder... And this is my guess. Yes, he's buying out these owners. Now he'll probably turn around again. Just guessing. Have not spoken to David or his reps yet, but he'll turn around and syndicate a position to strategic partners. I know he was buying this team just as the sports betting ruling was coming on. I know he is very interested in all the things you can do with sports betting. He's interested as a real estate play. So he'll probably look to sell some of this to limited partners with an expertise in whether it's technology, real estate, finance, something along those lines. And by the way, Scott, that's I'm wondering if Tepper has already sold his minority stake uh, that he had in the Steelers. So we got to keep an eye on that. Yeah, too. I don't know if he's if he's gotten rid of that. He will. They give you a little time to do that. I don't know. Maybe we'll send him a direct tweet and see if he see if he answers. Because Big Bar, what are you up to? 141. 141. We got. I want more. The listeners, Big Bar Sports and Medina. Before I can tell everybody that uh, you can follow me at Soshnik, you're Medina P. Yeah. But you have a squatter at Medina, right? Yeah, there's someone that already has that that but hasn't, hasn't been on tweeted for like ten years. But hasn't right. So are we gonna are we gonna have a unified effort to get Medina for you? I mean, if you want, honestly, it's not that big of a deal. What do you mean you want? No, if you want, if this is you at Medina should be you. Or you should have it the real Medina. The real Medina. Oh, I feel like that's just a lot of letters. All right, then, then if you want Medina at Medina, we have to make this happen. We have to lose <laughs> the P. Okay, let's we can get, do that. Let's get rid of the P. That's our that's our new thing. More followers for Big Bar Sports and lose the P. These yeah. are the platforms we're running on. And P is for platform. That's right. All right. Thank you. For, <laughs> produ- although that could also stand for producer. Yeah. I'll yeah, like Medina it. producer. Medina producer. But let's you want Medina, we're going to make this happen. The real Medina. Well, Scott, now let's get into this week's interview with Andrew Morton, partner at Handler Thayer and chair of the firm's sports and entertainment law group. Andrew also has led the development and execution of public policy efforts, ranging from organizing and overseeing highly visible appearances before congressional committees to arranging targeted private meetings with key members of Congress and the administration. A frequent public speaker, Andrew has testified before the U.S. Senate and House of Representatives, also the recipient of many awards highlighting his pro bono services. Quite the resume, Andrew. Thank you for taking the time and joining us. You bet. I got to say, Andrew, uh, maybe, maybe... The most letters we've ever had after a guest, MPPNJD. You're really laying it on thick, aren't you? Yeah, well, yeah. what was that? It's, it's a requirement at the firm. Oh, okay, requirement <laughs> at the firm. The credentials. All right, well, full disclosure, you and I go back a ways. And I thought it would be great to have you on at a time when we, when we know athletes are being more active in the community. 
Now, do you find there's an increase in desire for athletes to get involved and do good in a social basis? I don't know. It's an increased desire. Um, I, but my feeling is that they've always been inclined to do that sort of thing. I'm just not sure that they had as many opportunities to get involved as they do now. I mean, back in the day, you know, your typical athlete, um, let's say an NFL athlete, would just support the United Way because that's one of the official charities of the NFL. So they would come out to a United Way event. Um, I believe what's changed a bit over the, the last, like, decade or so is that, you know, folks are more inclined to have their own vehicle, you know, whether it's their own independent foundation or whether they're, uh, you know, affiliating with an organization who allows them to brand an, indiv- an individual foundation. And um, yeah, my own theory is that probably has a lot to do with this whole social media push that it's a, there's a lot more of a focus on the individual. Um, to be clear, I don't think that's a, I don't think that's a bad thing. Um, I think that if you're out there involved in the community, I don't really care if you're doing it under the banner of the United Way or your own foundation or something in between, as long as you're doing it. I, rem- I so let me give you a little uh, paradigm from a while back, or a little example of something that happened. David Falk, who back in the day represented, as you know, the biggest athletes in the NBA, Michael Jordan, Patrick Ewing, Alonzo Mourning, Juwan Howard. These are all multi-hundred million dollar contract guys. He was in the building and he got in an argument with one of the higher-ups here at the company. And David said, I don't want them giving because it'll just make them look good. And he said, I want them giving because they want to. And one of the folks at the company said, we don't give a damn why they give, just give because we need the money. Why do they give? Uh, and that's a good, it's a good point, and due respect to, to, to David, I tend to agree with whoever that higher-up was. I mean, it's not really my job to know what's between their ears or in their heart. Uh, all I can do is help them uh, to be involved in those in those efforts that are going to have some sort of philanthropic impact, uh, whether they're doing it to make themselves look good, whether they're doing it because they, they truly feel a desire to, to get involved. Um, it, you know, as I, as I would say, that's between, you know, them, their accountant, and God, not us. Um, now, that said, I, I do have to say that, you know, having worked with, um, you know, dozens and dozens of these athletes who are involved in, in philanthropic initiatives, um, I do believe it's coming from the right place. I mean, it's difficult to fake it. Uh, for that long, it's difficult to pretend to care. It's just it, it takes too much energy. So you know the guys that that I that I've sort of been privileged to work with, I think, um, are truly um, motivated by you know their rough upbringing. You know, many of these guys grew up in the inner cities, or you know, grew up in the farms, and you know, just wanted to get out and be successful and and feel a pull to give back and to be that inspiration. Um, to others, you know, it's sort of their own, uh, their own sort of uh, dedication to, to karma or whatever you want to call it. Um, but it, you know, I I really don't believe that there's some nefarious motivation that they're just doing it for for the press or doing it to try to to increase their fan base. Um, because, like I said, I mean, that's just that takes too much energy. Their jobs are tough enough. Um, being professional athletes, um, they don't they don't need to add the stress of of pretending to care about something they don't. I mean, the guys who don't care don't tend to get involved in foundations and, and other charitable efforts. Um, the guys who are involved, I believe, are in it for the right reason, although, you know, at the end of the day, like I said, that doesn't matter to me. I'll, I, I don't care, and, I'll, and we'll never know anyway. So, again, the important thing is that they're doing it. Well, Captain Basic here, I'm going to ask the basic question. You're one of the tops in your industry. Can you describe 
what you do for the listener who may not know exactly what you do and how you help athletes and gear them to their particular fund or wherever uh, charity they want. Yeah, you bet. I mean, I, I was smart enough to know that the easiest way to be the best at what you do is just find something that nobody else is doing. So I'm the best of a universe of one. Uh, and those of us is, who know you know that's yeah. true. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, my, I, I've got just about the goofiest legal practice that you'll ever run across. I mean, it is exclusively focused. I mean, as you mentioned, I'm technically chair of the sports and entertainment practice. Um, my entire practice is focused on philanthropy law and nonprofit law. Um, I represent about 50 or 60 um, foundations connected to athletes, uh, actors, singers, chefs, teams, leads. Can you drop some names? Are you allowed, Are there some clients who don't mind you saying that you represent this person? Can you give us an example of? Uh, yeah, I can. I mean, there there are a few that that you know have asked me to uh, that, that I've appeared in articles. In fact, there might have even been one that you wrote about uh, about a basketball player who scored more points than any other in the history of the NBA. So I've I've been. I remember um, that Kareem article. Kareem yeah. for, for quite a while. Um, you know, Kareem founded the Skyhook Foundation about 10 years ago. He is um, immensely dedicated. I mean, it's uh, kind of difficult not to see what Kareem is doing these days, whether it's, you know, writing articles for, uh, for, for magazines about public policy or being on Dancing with the Stars or anything in between. Um, you know, but he does have, you know, again, he's a great example. You know, as anybody knows, you know, Kareem is incredibly intellectual, just the most scholarly guy you'll ever meet. He always says if he were born, you know, a foot and a half shorter, he would have been a history professor uh, and and is just incredibly dedicated to not just education, but STEM education, you know, the science, technology, engineering, mathematics, and um, Skyhook Foundation, uh, we raise funds to provide opportunities for for kids in the inner cities of Los Angeles and looking to scale to other areas to attend an outdoor education um, a week of outdoor ed that think that is has a curriculum designed to focus on stem so you know the kids are out in the woods taking soil samples and measuring plant growth and and learning about um, these sorts of things that are kind of difficult to learn uh, within the four walls of a classroom and 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 you know downtown LA or, or East LA, it's not it, it, not the same. So, Andrew, how many how many athletes do this or want to get involved, have their heart in the right place, but do it all wrong? Um, way way too many, which you know sadly is uh, you know I have to admit is 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 a good thing for me. Um, it, you know, unfortunately, we sort of you know live in a world where. It, you know, it's as you said, it's becoming more and more common for these folks to be involved. And so, you know, everyone from your, you know, your Pro Bowl all-star roster down to your backup left tackles for the Jaguars are looking to have their own foundation. Um, it, you know, I find myself oftentimes in the ironic position of making a living setting up and overseeing um, charitable structures for athletes and, and, and other, you know, other folks with a public image and and most of the time talking them out of it because it's just not the right thing for them um so uh, you know the the answer is uh, almost everybody is on some level involved in in philanthropy uh the trick becomes you know how do you align the individual with their cause and you know candidly their place in the world you know if you're you know if you were a, a top you know a-list celebrity like a, a Again, a Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, a Michael Phelps, uh, 
um, you know, Jason Day or, you know, one of those guys, absolutely you can have your own 501c3 and generate the kind of funding that would make that make sense because you're raising in the hundreds of thousands, millions. You know, Chris Paul is another great example. Um, and, you know, at the same time, you have guys who are, are convinced they need to have their own foundation by, you know, agents or business managers that may not really understand, you know, that part of, of their involvement and convince them to set up a, a nonprofit structure where they really just don't have the, the ability to sustain it and just winds up being a, a tremendously uh, unfortunate use of resources because it doesn't end up getting where it needs to go. Um, you know, either the funds are going just towards maintaining compliance or there is no compliance and, and the, these foundations are operating um, outside of, of what the law is or what best practices might be. We're talking with lawyer Andrew Morton with Handler Thayer, and you deal with athletes, obviously, when it comes to charities. Do you also deal with team owners? Uh, do they also uh, contact you about what you can do to help? Um, I've I've not run across as many owners. I have worked with uh, with a couple of the the uh, the player unions and and the league foundations. Uh, you know, I guess the the league foundations, in a sense, are the you know a collection of the owners. Um, but you know, that said, there there are a number of owners who are doing tremendous work. Um, you know, Arthur Blank in Atlanta is incredibly incredibly philanthropic. Uh, you know, I was, uh, I'll tell you, one of the, one of the areas that is coming, uh, more to my attention, you know, I, I've worked with, you know, these leagues and, and player unions for, for years. I've worked, you know, with the individual players for years. Um, I actually just picked up, uh, my first coach as a client, uh, an NFL head coach who just started his own foundation. Um, so I'm hopeful that, that that's a trend that continues because, you know, the, with the, the kind of contracts these guys are getting and the profile that the coaches are getting, you know, they're every bit as prominent as the players, if not more so. Do they understand the reputational risk when they go into it, or is that something you really need to sit them down and make them understand that this could do you harm if not done properly? Uh, yeah, it's it's always um, very, very early in the conversation. I mean, the, the, I like to say that, you know, philanthropy is sort of a... a the, the cliche double-edged sword that if you know if you're doing it the right way, um, it can be an incredibly useful tool um, for a variety of reasons. I mean, I, I will say that I you know I'm not one who believes that you should you know getting back to what we were talking about before. I, I, if you're doing it, you're doing it. I don't care why. Uh, and the the fact of the matter is that philanthropy done right can be a tremendous benefit for the individual athlete, not just in terms of filling their heart and, and sort of giving them something to do off the field. But, you know, again, frankly, you know, if you get involved in the community, you're going to become more of a fan favorite. You're going to build your fan base. You're going to sell more jerseys. You're going to be, uh, you're going to be in a better negotiating position to, to when your contract comes up for renewal. So, you know, a great example is like a Drew Brees. Like Drew Brees, uh, everybody associated him with San Diego. He was a San Diego guy. And then all of a sudden he gets to New Orleans um, shortly after Katrina, uh, did an unbelievable uh, amount of work toward raising funds and, and, and getting involved with the community for Katrina relief. Uh, you know, and now he's, he's Breezes and he's Mr. New Orleans. And all of a sudden, you know, this guy who just had absolutely no connection whatsoever to that area is now like hometown hero as if he grew up there. And, and in my view, that was all because of his involvement in philanthropy. 
Um, you know, so that's sort of the that's the positive benefit. You know, the flip side is, you know, there are way too many examples of these guys who, uh, you know, what what you hear about them and their philanthropy is. Uh, that they're doing it entirely wrong. You know, what I like to call it celebrity philanthropy gone wild, uh, where, you know, the foundation is not set up properly, maybe it wasn't even set up at all, uh, and they're, you know, despite trying to do the right thing, are doing it in the wrong way, and the story becomes the noncompliance. You know, not their charitable impact, or not the fact that they were intending to do good, but the fact that they were violating nonprofit law, and that they were um, you know, failing to provide donors with a tax deduction because they weren't set up properly. So, uh, yeah, it is absolutely the case that, you know, it's, there's a risk there. Um, you've got to understand that philanthropy is like anything else in their lives. Um, you know, they, in the same way that they, they shouldn't be buying a restaurant or a car dealership without understanding the risk, they shouldn't be starting a foundation without understanding the risks. Uh, but unfortunately, in our, in, in sort of, you know, the world in which we live, these foundations are, are sort of thought of as these touchy-feely kind of unicorns kind of kumbaya organizations, and they're not. They're corporations, and they have every bit the compliance obligations of, you know, ExxonMobil and Google and Amazon, and these guys need to understand that getting involved in philanthropy is not just something that you do because it's the right thing to do, but it is starting a business, just like buying a restaurant, and it should be treated the same way, with professional legal advice, with professional accounting oversight, with you know, professional uh, team of advisors and executives. And if they're not ready to do that, then, then, yeah, they're just asking for trouble. We're talking with lawyer Andrew Morton with Handler Thayer. I have to ask, the, the most, when it's done properly, the most heartwarming stories that you've seen from athletes giving to community. You mentioned about Drew Brees and Katrina. Can you mention some of the other heartwarming stories that you've seen when it's done the right way and you see the money going to where it needs to go? Yeah, and it's it, absolutely, and in, in, in more of a uh, general sense, I mean, there's way too many specifics, but, but here's, here's one of the, 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 the points that I always like to make, and, you know, hopefully there's, uh, there, there might even be some of, some of the folks um, you know, if there's anybody listening to, that this applies to, then then I've done my job, right? And that is, you know, the the fact that in many respects, people only view the all stars and you know those those top guys as the ones who are able to to sustain a philanthropic effort. And and as I said, you know, while I don't believe that your backup left tackles ought to have their own foundation, that doesn't mean that that they shouldn't be philanthropic. And you know, again, the trick is is aligning you know their place in the world with their cause and with the structure that they use to to sort of to get involved and then have an impact in philanthropy. So um, one of the ironies that I always talk about is that. Uh, you know, in a lot of ways, you can have more philanthropic impact with fifty thousand dollars than you can with fifty million dollars, um, and that probably doesn't make a lot of sense. But what I mean by that is that you know, the the high profile high profile folks tend to get involved in these macro level efforts like curing cancer or you know eradicating hunger or human rights issues. Those are phenomenal causes, and needless to say, I'm not suggesting in any way that folks shouldn't do that. But, you know, raising $50 million for cancer research, it's difficult to see the impact. And my experience has been that folks will get more dedicated to philanthropy and sustain their their commitment when they see the impact. When you raise $50,000, 
uh, and sort of go into a local community, whether it's a player's hometown or, or the town that they went to college or the town that they're currently playing professional ball, um, if they take that 50 grand and buy new equipment for the local high schools or buy books for the library or provide food to a soup kitchen, you know, you can see that immediately. You know, it's difficult to see the impact of $50 million into a $100 million bucket to cure cancer. It's very easy to see a bunch of kids who didn't have football equipment yesterday who have shiny new equipment today. And that's, you know, one of the, the experiences that, that I get to be a part of that just, uh, you know, is what motivates me to do my job is when I, you know, I can have an event for a player who raises that 50 grand. I mean, nothing that they're going to write about in Bloomberg necessarily, but, you know, when you raise that 50 grand and then the next day, you know, we can pull into the school parking lot and I've got a 300 pound lineman in my car who's got tears in his eyes looking at these kids, you know, and understanding that he's the one who gave them the swagger to, to feel like, like they are somebody because they're wearing this shiny new equipment and, and they have all this incredible, you know, gear that they didn't have yesterday. And he did that. And when he sees that, he goes back to his teammates and says, guys, you got to start doing this in your communities. And, you know, I would much rather work with 50 guys raising a hundred grand than a couple of guys raising a hundred million, because it, it, there's more of an opportunity to see what that can do right now, not down the road. We're chatting with Andrew Morton. He's the chair of the sports and entertainment practice at Handler Thayer. And Andrew, in your bio, it says you work with public figures who wish to maximize their social impact. Is it easier for athletes today because of the inherent amplification in a social world, whether it's LeBron or Derek Jeter and the Turn 2 Foundation, is it easier for them to amplify their message of giving, of charity? I think there's no question that you know everybody has a better platform now than they used to in a sense because you know now we can now we as individuals have some control over that whereas you know before it was just uh, evil media types I mean not present company but you know the 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 ability to get the message out was dependent on on convincing a journalist to write about it whereas now you know everybody has their own um, their own platform and their own way to amplify that voice so. You know, I think you know. Again, we're, we're sort of beating a, a theme into the ground here, but it's it's. I think that those guys always had the ability to do that. What's different today are the what those backup left tackles can do. You know, I, I are you know what the guys who aren't on the All Star roster. You know, now you've got the ability for you know. It's not just the A list that's being philanthropic. You know, twenty years ago, you just heard about Elizabeth Taylor and. You know, and then it became, you know, George Clooney and Angelina and, you know, their causes, Bono, those sorts of guys. Whereas now, um, given the social media and given, you know, the ability to, to communicate directly with a fan base, you know, a, a guy that's not a Bono or not a, a LeBron or a Derek Jeter has the ability to reach his fans, that, you know, be it 50,000 fans or 50 million fans can get to those guys and can can amplify that message about philanthropy and about about supporting a cause whether it's getting to an event or giving to a a foundation directly or or uh, calling a congressperson or you know anything that that is what they believe to be uh, the best way to have a philanthropic impact, they can now control that and and you know have their own little bubble that they can the ability to communicate and get that feedback and 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 amplify their voice to a smaller audience. Is there a best time to do this? Let's say back up or top pick doesn't matter. 
they come to you, just got drafted. Everybody knows their name. They're getting their first checks to their signing bonus. I want to do a foundation. I want to create my own foundation, Andrew. Do you say to them, whoa, 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 why don't you take some time, get your feet wet, get your job? I mean, your day job is going to be hard enough. There's time for this. Or I'm happy to do it. Let's go. I don't work with rookies. I don't believe that they are in a position to to have that commitment yet, uh, both because they're too young to really, in, in most cases, they're too young to really understand what it is long-term that is going to be their philanthropic cause of, you know, what, just what drives them. I mean, of course, there are guys that it's pretty obvious, uh, but for most of these guys, they're, they're, I mean, these are young kids. Like, it still astounds me as a, you know, as just a, a sports fan that, you know, we're watching like a national championship game and you go, that kid is 19 years old. At 19 years old, I was lucky to be able to drive my car to the grocery store. Like, and this kid's, you know, got, got however many tens, hundreds of millions of people watching them. It's just, it's astounding to me, you know, the maturity that some of these kids have, but at the same time, they're just kids. And, you know, the, the message that I typically tell a rookie or a younger guy is, like, look, it, to the extent you're committed to philanthropy, I love that, and we're going to find ways that we can get you involved. However, um, in terms of establishing your own foundation or creating your own philanthropy brand, it's not time yet. Like, there's time for that. You need to be a football player or, or a basketball player. You need to focus on your playbook, not on a foundation, because if you don't establish relevance, in you know as a professional athlete then down the road there's nothing you're going to be able to do in the philanthropy world because nobody's going to know who you are you know the 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 best thing that a guy can do especially these you know early draft picks is really focus on establishing their credentials as a player uh, and then sort of take that and pivot into uh, into establishing that philanthropy brand and and some sort of a structure that'll that'll be supportive of whatever impact they want to make but but doing it right out of the gate is just, it's going to be a distraction to the player. Um, the agents get frustrated. Um, the coaches get frustrated, and it's understandable. He is one of the top athlete philanthropy lawyers in the country. That's Andrew one of Morton. one. Yes. <laughs> yes. The only one. <laughs> He's also Morton. the worst. <laughs> <laughs> with Handler Thayer, you've been so kind to take your time and talk with us. Thank you, sir. You bet. My pleasure. Takeaways from the interview, stupid me. I had no That's idea. That's my takeaway, too. I, 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 you know, <laughs> it was too easy when I said it. It was like, set up, boom. Was, but I had no idea that you needed somebody like Mr. Morton on what you need to set up a kind of foundation. I thought, quite frankly, the athlete took it upon themselves to just go out and do what they had to do. Yeah, having known him for a while now, it's amazing. Sometimes I'll call him. And I'll take a uh, one of the financial disclosure forms for somebody's charity and have him take a peek. And he says, well, this isn't in compliance. This is a mistake. This is wrong. This is illegal. And it happens way more often, which is why I'd asked him sort of about that reputational risk. If you're going to do it, you better do it right. Because he was right when he said the headline coming out is even though you're trying to do good, the headline's going to come out, financial irregularity in a charity. There's a risk here. So you better do it right. That's that's my takeaway. Athletes really need to know, agents need to know that you better do it right. And second takeaway, if I may, a second takeaway. Bonus. We don't really need Novi Williams. Like, 
didn't miss him at all. You think we had a good time with you, by the way, about did you listen to the show? We let's see if he listens. We'll ask him. Did you know what we said about you on this week's show, uh, Novi Williams? He might guess that. He's not going to guess. My goal is to be the number one pick. That's something I've been dreaming of since kids. It feels better to be number one than number five. I wear the number because of Mike. We have a chance to go for three in a row. Good numbers at a good time. When I first started wearing that number, I was just happy and proud. Bloomberg Business of Sports, the number of the week. Now, this is what we call a hybrid. When you say we call, you mean you call. Yeah. Well, no, it's a we because we are a team, remember? Yeah, but I want to make sure this is something that I okay, call whatever right. it is you're about to yeah, say. Yeah, because you don't know what the heck I'm I am not co-signing until I know what uh, this is. <laughs> I'll show you my credit report. Here's the number. 86 out of 101. That's two numbers. That's numbers I, of I the week. I said it's a hybrid. Uh, yeah, it's a hyphen. 86 uh, of 101. 86 of one. I, I have no idea. Now I'll put it in the context. Please do. Houston Rockets guard James Harden got 86 out of 101 first place votes for MVP of the NBA. Yes, and Dwayne Casey wins Coach of the Year and gets fired, and Brad Steven gets zero votes for Coach of the Year. But, yes, James Harden. He's been knocking on the door, man. Yeah. Um. Uh, how do I be polite here? I mean, I, I don't want to be throwing my opinions about James But just pretend James you're talking Harden. to me. Yeah, okay. Um. I mean, LeBron's the MVP. Uh, he just is. He single-handedly kind of drags that team to the finals and makes it competitive. And you saw this with Jordan, and you saw this with others. And again, I covered Jordan in his heyday. I was there when people would run behind the bus. There were times when there was just kind of Michael Jordan fatigue, and it was it was so assumed that he was the best player on the planet and that he's the most valuable player that they gave it to somebody else just to give it to somebody else. Is James Harden a wonderful, great basketball player? Yes, great basketball player. I, this is not what I'm saying. And I know I know about, oh, most valuable to his team. What would the Rockets be without him? They'd probably be a pretty lousy team. But what would the Cavaliers be? What would the NBA be without Sir James? Well, now you still have Kevin Love on the Cavaliers. Maybe you just made a point, but what I'm getting at. <laughs> I will at, remain silent no, as I'm just talking I'm just to you. Yes, you still have. Yeah, that's my point. You still have Kevin Love on <laughs> no, the Cavaliers. No, yes. and I'm not knocking Kevin Love. And, and I get your argument that you're saying that, listen, LeBron James, he took that team on his back to the finals. I get all of that. But still, I mean, you got to give a, a nod to James Harden. I will give him a nod. I'll give him some second place votes. That's giving him a nod. <laughs> okay. That's giving him a very solid nod. I'm just not giving him 86 out of 101 first place nods. By the way, LeBron, like we're on a first name basis, he That's came what he's in known second. As. Yes. Uh, New Orleans Pelicans power forward Anthony Davis third. How's and- his playoffs going? <laughs> How's that playoff career for Anthony Davis looking? Why? Why are you? Why, why are you being all snarky, I, man? I just come on. Who put salt in your Kool Aid today, again, man? Nice, nice player, but can, can I? Can I? What? What are these guys measured in? They're measured in rings, postseason accomplishments. Nobody cares what happens in the first eighty-two. Nobody. Well, now, do you think about Rookie of the Year, Ben Simmons? Second-year player, Ben Simmons. Yeah. Sure. I have no problem. He didn't play the first year, sure. I have no problem. Yeah. By the way, the 76ers, they yeah. have turned – see, now, if you gave an award for a team that just turned it around, the 76ers, here, here. Well, well you say turned it around, and you, you know the saying that you can't turn around a cruise ship quickly? Like, it's <laughs> this is not like they were 
steaming one way and then all of a sudden pivoted. They were bad. But as my friend Scott O'Neill likes to preach, trust the process. There they go. Good, good job to all my 76ers pals. We'll go ahead and talk about this at the bar with a beer. Big bar. You've been listening to Bloomberg Business of Sports. We are here each and every week at the same time exploring the world of money and sports. I'm Michael Barr on Twitter at Big Barr. Big Barr. And I am Scott Soshnick. You can follow me at Twitter at Soshnick. Medina P. Soon to be just Medina. Thanks for joining us. Please tune in next week when we speak with the biggest and brightest in the sports business industry. You're listening to Bloomberg Business of Sports from Bloomberg Radio around the world and online as an Apple podcast on iTunes.